Welcome to the PivotCast. This episode was recorded on January 16th, 2019 at the Transact Club. This episode features readings from Julia Pollock O'Neill, Eric Schmaltz, and Dominic Bernier-Cornier. Very lucky to have first up Eric Schmaltz. Eric is the writer of Surfaces, a book of visual poetry and text art published in May 2018 by Invisible Publishing. His creative work has appeared in periodicals such as the Berkeley Poetry Review, Jacket 2, and the Capilano Review, and has been featured in galleries in the United States and Canada. Eric's work was most recently exhibited as part of the symposium for the Philadelphia Avant-Garde Studies Consortium at the University of Pennsylvania, and he lives and teaches right here in Toronto. Please welcome Eric. It's really nice to be back. Um, I, I was living in Philadelphia for the fall, uh, doing some things there. Um, so it's sort of nice to be back here uh, in Toronto and especially be back at Pivot. Um, you know, see so many familiar faces, made some new friends already tonight. Uh, hey. uh, so it's really lovely uh, to see you all. So I'm just gonna, just gonna go ahead. So I've been reading from three different pieces tonight. Um, sort of recent work from uh, my years in poetry. The first will be a chapbook, uh, Trips From Here to There, Poems from the Dream Machine, and it's sort of a suite of, of free verse poems that I composed um, while under the influence of the Dream Machine. Um, for those of you that don't know, the Dream Machine is kind of this groovy meditative device um, with a light in the center and a case on the outside, and it spins um, and it emits sort of specific patterns of light that you're meant to look at with your eyes closed, your eyes open, um, and it takes you to some groovy places. You see things, uh, stuff like that. Um, so the poems that I'll read from that suite uh, are things that I had under that influence. Uh, the next is sections related to and companion with uh, my visual book of poetry surfaces. Um, there was some talk on Twitter last night. How will he read from it? Um, I'm still trying to answer that question. I'll pass around copies of my book so you can take a look at it as I read, but I'll be reading some sections from it and some sort of semi-fictional process notes uh, that are kind of companion pieces. And then I'll close with some recent work that I've been writing, words that I've been collecting, uh, sort of traveling around different urban spaces, um, been collecting words that appear in specific colors, red, blue, uh, and, and organizing them uh, in a way. So things that appear in advertising and signage and stuff like that. So trips from here to there, poems from the dream machine. And it comes with a quote from Brian Geisen, all truth is a tale I'm telling myself. One, the whir of turquoise, tufts of pulsing moss, enter paradoxical sleep. The turquoise pulls, moments of rust, a sense that eyelids have flickered. Somewhere beyond that not quite centered, I can feel the sketches of a carousel. Grayscale, a fragmented familiarity looking back in age a silhouette of elsewhere. Three, two spots of sun circling, 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 circling. 
A shadow cat, dark stars in their eyes on a windowsill somewhere, and I am in the light where the sun is gone, staring up and into my park near my parents' home, and then, or maybe, the lakeside of Toronto where I'm on my way, and then it washes away back into a blazing light. Four. This is the hand that sees vibrant blue, the ball of a child, the talk of a girl, the laugh of a man. The forest spreads its hands and mists. My ribs are the tides of a shoreline playing shadows with the cinema. A pyre opens in my eye, brighter than all the rest, my limbs rift. Six. Somewhere on a lake, my house is an elastic. The drawers are filled with stones. A crack in the door is a blue light. The rooms are accented by peacocks. The woman with the eel arm continues to dance. Her arm stretches and disappears into an ether of painting turquoise, where I am sitting alone. An eight passing through piles of gray. And I'm going to shift gears over to things related to surfaces. Encounters one schematics. I lay out the materials on the digital page, each shape corresponding to a counter in typographical anatomy. I admire their angles and curvatures. I imagine the ways they can be imaged. I think about how the typographer articulates the shape of a letter by calculating the page space around it, within it. The counter is an accounting for the unseen, print and bookmaking as figure and ground. I think about the relationship between counter and letter, between page and print, between scene and scene how it per affirms perceived polarities in language. Letters only rendered legible by looking away from negative space toward the letter on the page. Text is made legible in contrast, a surface articulable only if some other space is unseen, unsurfaced, unfaced. Thickly crafted subliminal grip, superior matte messages, innovative microbial dreams, hardened bacteria extensions, superior stain-causing graphite, large soft core visualizations, perfect reforested corrections, fine hexagonal self-expression, soft touch breakpoints, simply well-disguised wood. writing as an intimacy with machines. And this is a source text that I translated um, into surfaces in a section called Path Dependency. Ryan, this one's for you. We are born into linguistic flows, into languages complex of shifting and shimmering circuitry. Every component of language has a mechanic life that emerges in and through interactions with bodies and non-bodies. 
Each language component is a piece of data encrypted with visual and sonic information which we meet in endless recombinants like lovers among and upon themselves. When we write, we construct a multitude. Beginning within, our body initiates an interaction of synaptic events coupled with the application and interaction of muscles, tissues, textures, and pressures that guide the flow of data. These bodily processes assemble within a technologic realm. Taut skin on a fine-tipped pen, graphite on a yellowed notepad, a MacBook held close as it purrs at midnight. Like antennae, we receive and transmit data through and into these assemblages. This is an intimacy. For us, writing opens at these realizations. Letters, sentences, paragraphs, poems, and books are machines formulated from various strains of input and output, all of which are created collaboratively in and through the meeting of bodies, machines, and of systems. The visual and sonic information of language is that which acts upon us and with us. It alters our biochemistry and neurology, and we respond with our placement of and response to the mark. This is how we arrive at the delicate curve of meticulously designed serif, the flick of a tongue sounding love, or the epic span of the long poem. There is no one assemblage. Glossy, full, frontal, polymer, additional turbo, quad response, spacious gigabit experience, virtual fingerprint assembly, solid state bilingual circles, anti-visual bandwidth platform, protected ion sync enclosure, shared light memory boost, turbo inertial retina graphics, unibody dark data processor. Encounters 2 structures. I lay out the counters again at the center of an empty page on my screen. I swipe away, return to an article on perceptual experience and neuroplasticity, a study of phantom limbs and how some patients with brachial avulsions experience painful sensations from beyond the border of their skin. I'm in awe of the brain's plasticity, how the mere illusion of a limb in symmetric location serves as visual feedback to offer, of all things, relief. Water-based awareness design, extra patented personality lines, balanced G-Tech polymer razor, vibrant tactical accent formula, triangular silvery liquid, vibrant biopolymer jet stream, comfortable soft metal data, assembled zero-gravity culture, quick-drying military personality, material information bleed. Encounters 3 surfaces. I return to the materials once more. I imagine how these shapes can be placed in congruity to form points for contact, images to be pressed upon, surfaces to be felt. I open another window while thinking about processes and world-building, peripheries and focus, pleasure and escapism. I sit and I stare. I think of how my tongue rests on the tips of my fingers to settle and unsettle the marks for pleasure and critique. I turn out the light and settle into my desk, feeling my body as it rearticulates itself in space, as it assumes an assemblage of my frictive work, 
the curve of my hands as I reach toward the keys, the friction upon my fingers as I type and click, the slight of my spine pressed upon the straight of my chair, my eyes focused upon the surface of my screen, touch at the limits of a long passage. Effortless black cloud versatility, multilingual pixel philosophy, polarizing polymer feel network, elegant memory security, expandable inbox life leather, certified oct document band, new vision entertainment text, all polymer accelerometer, loud unlimited lollipop, sensitive ambient language user. And I'll close with two new ones. I'll do the colors red and blue. It's a series called Language and Hues. The redness of red is exit. The redness of red is opening. The redness of red is don't. The redness of red is danger. The redness of red is emergency. The redness of red is industry. The redness of red is dreaming. The redness of red is prohibited. The redness of red is income. The redness of red is service. The redness of red is premise. The redness of red is parking. The redness of red is drive. The redness of red is horizon. The redness of red is system. The redness of red is sale. The redness of red is final. The redness of red is love. The redness of red is no. The redness of red is reunion. The blueness of blue is banking. The blueness of blue is silver. The blueness of blue is starlight. The blueness of blue is water. The blueness of blue is sparkling. The blueness of blue is reliance. The blueness of blue is still. The blueness of blue is music. The blueness of blue is mobile. The blueness of blue is business. The blueness of blue is tattoos. The blueness of blue is universe. The blueness of blue is local. The blueness of blue is authorized. The blueness of blue is theater. The blueness of blue is company. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eric. Next up, I believe we have Dominic. Okay. <laughs> He's going to drag that out until someone confirmed. Uh, Dominic, or Dom, Vernier <laughs> uh, Cormier. Did all that right? Nice. Was born in Quebec, but grew up in Moscow, Paris, and Beijing. His poems have been shortlisted for ARC's Poem of the Year Award a National Magazine Award, and the Puritan's Thomas Morton Prize. And he won the Fiddlehead's Ralph Gustafson Prize in 2017. His first book, Correspondent, was published in fall 2018 by Icehouse, Goose Lane Editions. He is currently working on a book of poems, 
about his Acadian ancestor who escaped jail by wearing his wife's clothes, like all good jailbreaks. Uh, please welcome Dominic. Hi, thanks for being here. Um, thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Kinesia. Um, thanks to the other readers. I was one of those people on Twitter, Eric, and I was like, how is he going to do it? And actually, I, my book came out in the fall, and I haven't really figured out a good way to read from it either, um, mostly because it's, it's longer narrative poems, and so reading extracts is kind of tough. But I saw that you were going to read from a book of visual poems, and I, was, I can't complain. That's, that's incredible. I can't. I'm lucky. Um, so uh, I'm going to give you a bit of, uh, just a bit of context about, about the book. Um, when I was uh, eight years old, nine years old, eight going on nine, uh, me, my family and I moved from uh, Quebec City to Moscow because my dad had been named the foreign correspondent for CBC Radio-Canada there. Um, and we lived in Moscow for four years. Uh, and I got to see Russia from a couple of different through a couple of different lenses, uh, through my own, through my own eyes um, every day, but also through the eyes of my dad uh, covering the news um, and watching him on TV, um, you know, talk about public narratives that were happening in Russia. And I think, I think what that did is uh, it made some of those public narratives, some of those news events feel like very personal and intimate stories because they were they were being told to me by my dad and um, you know they kind of felt like stories that my family w would tell and so they felt close to me um, and this book is um, sort of my attempt at exploring how public narratives interact with private narratives in our lives um, and how public narratives can infiltrate our own um, can infiltrate our lives and also vice versa how our own imaginations and our own private narratives can sort of bleed into um, narratives that happen outside of ourselves um, and more personally I was trying to uh, I guess figure out how three particular events um, sort of entered my imagination and, and worked within me. And those three events uh, that my dad covered that I, that I talk about in the, books, in the book are uh, the sinking of the Russian submarine Korsk, uh, the assassination of an Afghan political leader um, named Ahmad Shah Massoud, and a theater a hostage crisis at a theater, uh, at the Dubrovka Theater. Um, and so basically there's, uh, one of the reasons why it's tough to read from this book is that there's a lot of quotes and there's a lot of, of primary, um, material about those stories and they start to infiltrate, uh, the more personal, um, parts of, of the text. Um, I kind of go between retelling those events and, uh, more... Uh, sort of personal passages, lyric passages about um, my memories of growing up as a kid in Moscow. Um, 
and the two texts, the primary sources and my own memories, sort of start to to bleed into one another and to and to blend and to and to clash. And so there's a lot of voices happening sort of in very close proximity or at the same time. And there's really not a good way to to sort of deal with that on stage. Cloning is like prohibitively expensive. Uh, the YMCA near my house does not offer vent ventriloquism classes yet. I put a suggestion in the suggestion box. So maybe at the next reading, I'll be puppets. Um, <laughs> but for now, it's it's just me and, and my one voice. So um, I'll give it my best shot. I'm going to read um, the, the introductory poem, which is in two voices, a French one and an English one. And then I'm going to read from sections from the first part of the book, which deals with the sinking of the, of the submarine Korsk. <clears throat> Anyone speak, speak, understand French in the, in the room? Great. I feel so strange writing to you. Je me souviens de tout, de la bouche pleine d'or de Marina. In this language, we never speak, Papa. Les grues qui un soleil rouge hors du brouillard. With words I didn't own when all of this happened. Chaque matin, les murs du Kremlin le long de la rivière. Do you remember the sound of English before meaning? Aismailovo, la fumée bleue des chachliques, les clins d'œil métalliques. I remember English as a river flowing from the radio. Les marchands de kvass, le pain noir en bouteille. And now all these words, like ice cubes in my hands. Le hachapuri au café georgien, les petites tables rondes. Threatening to melt into noises again. Les gaillis dans leur manteau gris avec le bois poli des kalachnikovs. I feel so strange writing, but I remember that all poetry is translation. Le lac vert du gazon de l'ambassade américaine. And that translation is not betrayal. Aux portes, les marines qui glissaient leurs miroirs sous notre voiture. Why does the language of my dreams feel so political? Les grands poumons de cristal accrochés au, pl au plafond du métro. To translate, as in to carry across the sea. Les balles de tennis brillant dans le crépuscule bleu de Lujniki. And how often our bodies were translated. La grande voie rouge de Misha. Across borders, so many are not allowed to cross. Les fenêtres en feu de l'hôtel Ukraine le soir du balcon. And how lucky to simply leave one tongue behind. Chaque matin, l'énorme oignon doré de Saint-Sauveur, when it hurts to speak it. Mes doigts sur le piano parlent mieux le russe que ma bouche. I hope you taught me well. Dérouler les longues pages des boulots blancs à la dacha. And I don't drown these other voices with mine. Se jeter dans la neige comme dans un lac calme. I hope I remember. It is the correspondent who is foreign. La belle voix argentée de Galina de l'autre côté de la porte. And not the landscape. La lumière de Moscou et son fantôme dans ma gorge. So just very quickly for those of you who who don't know, the Korsk was a submarine, a Russian submarine that, that sank during a naval exercise um, in 2000. 
um, because of, of uh, a badly maintained um, torpedo. Um, and the Russian government was very slow in its rescue and, and, and botched the rescue. And, and some uh, sailors were, were trapped inside and um, managed to write notes to their, to their loved one, but eventually um, didn't make it out. Um, and it was uh, sort of a, a sign that, that um, the, Russian, the Russian Navy was, uh, people lost faith in the, in the Russian Navy, and it was a sign of some of the government's uh, incompetence in dealing with things like that and sort of uh, disregard for, for the lives of those sailors. And it happened uh, just a couple weeks before we were supposed to move to Moscow, and my dad had to leave early from our cottage in New Brunswick in, in order to cover that story. And sort of it was, that narrative was sort of our first introduction to, to Russia. Early morning, August 12th. Hydrogen peroxide leaks from a 118 torpedo aboard the Korsk. Liquid falls drop by drop onto a ring of copper insulation. At 11.29, seismographs in Norway detect an event of magnitude 1.5. The submarine sinks 108 meters to the bottom of the Barents Sea, fire in its hull. Two minutes later, a second torpedo explodes in its launching tubes, triggering a chain reaction. Torpedo heads burst one by one, a long rosary of flames. Seismic needles shake as far as the New Mexico desert. Scientists in white coats and round glasses analyze scribbles of lead, pinpoint the location of the event 50 miles off the coast of Kola in Russia. Holes in the hull the size of bodies, the whole sea trying to squeeze itself in. At our seaside cottage in New Brunswick, our mother teaches us difficult strokes, butterfly, Cyrillic. My palms learn new ways to hold pens and waves. I point Moscow out to my brother on a deflated beach globe. I already know the words water, broken, and why. I write pages and pages of M's, waves that never crash, frozen. We storm the beach, waving sharp sticks, pretend to be Napoleon's soldiers crossing the Moskva. I wear a dead jellyfish as a crown, a cape of algae. Behind a bay window, my mother packs boxes, wraps glasses in thousands of little bubbles. She writes books, fragile, personal, in black marker in a language she can't read yet. At a mansion on the Black Sea, journalists snap photos of the president lifting weights grilling meat over a fire. At the banya, women slap his naked back with branches of birch to improve circulation, blood flow. A bodyguard stands in the steam room in a black suit. The president's face plugs the hole in the massage table. In a room on the other side of the mansion, a telephone rings. An aide runs over with a sheet of paper and a pair of glasses. The president reads it line by line then crumples it. He walks outside onto the beach and throws himself in the water, steaming. A white fist of paper floats up, breaks the surface. 
men in black glasses watched from the shore, whispering into their wrists. My Russian is rusty, so you it's been 20 years, so you forgive that. Um, Sheremetyevo Airport, August 23rd, 2000. Every sign warped, like trying to read underwater. We don't know the word for exit, so we follow green arrows until a voice calls my mother's name. Sasha is holding a sign that says CBC, waving. He leads us to a muddy jeep, explaining things with his hands. Through the smog, I see cranes moving in fields like great animals. A red sun shines through the freckled windows. I tried to read the billboards, but we're moving too fast. The writing slipping like water through my palms. Sasha weaves through traffic over the Moskva, faces gliding across the gray river. Gold domes growing out of the city. My mother turns, smiles at us. I try to read her face, but her neck is wrapped in blue flowers. On est presque arrivé. On est presque à la maison. A red bulb drips from a ceiling of steel. Dimitri reaches for a pencil in the pocket of his iron shirt. He tests the sharp tip of lead, traces a line in his palm. Oxygen drains from the thick air, like breathing in bricks, a church at night full of smoke. Dimitri flattens the wrinkles out of a loose sheet. Water leaks onto the paper from the escape hatch, a, ch a chandelier of seawater. His wrist moves in the dark. His name, Lieutenant Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov. The time and date, 1.15, August 12, 2000. Pins and needles in his arm from breathing in carbon monoxide, like being tattooed by air itself. Still, his Russian flows in calm waves, steady strokes. The zeros floating above the line like hopeful silver bubbles. My mother at 14 swims for hours before school every day. Her palms cup water wrapped in bracelets of silver bubbles, rosaries of air. She breathes to the rhythm of morning prayer, Je vous salue Marie, pleine de grâce. A kick on Marie, a breath on grâce. Clockwork. Outside, nuns circle the pool in their black habits, hands behind their backs, the white clouds of their voices, snow falling on Quebec City's copper roofs, a bell ringing. When she swims the backstroke, my mother balances a, co a cold glass of water on her forehead to learn to keep still, to learn not to shake when she runs out of breath, when breath runs out of her. The glass throws a ring of light across her freckled face. If it falls into the water, the clock will stop, go back to zero. Okay, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much. <laughs> Our final reader tonight is Julia Ponick O'Neill. She's an artist, curator, critic, and writer. Her writing has been published in BC Studies, Feminist Spaces, Tripwire, Touch the Donkey, Fermenting Feminisms, a project of the Laboratory for Aesthetics and Ecology, curated by Lorraine Fournier, the Avent Canada Anthology from Wilfred, Wilfred Laurier University Press, 
forthcoming in 2018, and other places. She has published two chapbooks, Everything Will Be Taken Away 2018 and Femme 2016, both with Above Ground Press. She's cur she currently lives in Toronto, where she is completing her Shirk-funded PhD in Interdisciplinary Humanities. Please welcome Julia Poniconi. Thank you so much. Um, I have like a little note that I wrote myself of who to thank. Thank you, Kinesia. Thank you, Michelle. Um, thank you also always to my friend Ryan Fitzpatrick and our friend Deanna Fong, who really were the people who encouraged me to not only read, but also publish my work and um, that that's always a really important relationship in these types of things. Um, and also to a thank, big, big thank you to my partner, Aaron, who is really great for um, just kind of giving me a lot of space to do the things that I do. Uh, sorry, I just, you know, if I, if I don't thank people, I forget. Um, I'm gonna start with a, the most recent poem that I've published. It's a short, sweet one on talking about strawberries all of the time, which is a, I don't know who publishes that, but anyway, they invited me to <laughs> send up something. Uh, it's called Corrective. I am a small continent, an island predominantly of birds, alluvial soils, verdant, a land of plenty. The narrative suggests I was once encumbered by a zigzag peninsula, but I see no evidence. The tides have washed away the connective topologies. This absence is a corrective. I decline invitations to be mapped. Men have drowned just offshore. I curve around a quiet inlet, breathe migratory paths. Now I'm going to read a little bit from my most recent um, above ground chat book, Everything Will Be Taken Away. And um, I wanted to give a little context for this. I wrote the entirety of um, the, the collection that's in this chat book while I was teaching in Germany in American studies for a year. I took a year off and um, thought that I would do the international experience. And it was actually quite lonely, but from loneliness, um, stems a really interesting form of productivity that's steeped in <laughs> depression. <laughs> so um, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to open with uh, the last poem in the chat book, which is one of my favorites. It's called Noop Matrices for a Medium of Exchange Between Artist and Artist for Adrian Piper. Collectively, we form a matrix cross-hatched and geometric. We are line work sketched and useful. Some variation in pressure, but from afar we look mechanically reproduced. And in fact we are, but there is a hand-wrought quality that belies our economic value. At least in terms of an agreed-upon rate of exchange, my softness and dependability, and it suggested that there is something else I bring but we politely shift the conversation to avoid the understood awkwardness of this transaction, the transactional dynamic of our being in this composed thing I am composed and praised for it among other praiseworthy parts. I am not your object of study and I am not here for you. 
If you look closely, the roles reversed printed backwards, and here's the question I will pose as a composed thing or being. You see the beauty, but you overlook the spectacle, unfocused, unrefined, unresponsive, and to such details, qualia, this disappoints because the students are trained to decompose every visual thing, every being. Every visual thing and being is made of fragments that shift, and when the shifts are noted is when the organizing them begins, the mind like a buzzing hive, to praise the praiseworthy parts, but to impart oblivion. To see and deliver a blindness, the map pinned down becomes a square, the square a block. The economy's a darkened block, a square obscuring value, sketched and humane, but ontologically fraught. Charged ontologies, a blackening being, a specialty within your matrices, saturated aura of strained mutuality, a block, a black square, cross-hatched, obscured, geometric ink blot, a stain, red and reading. And now the first poem, uh, Body Bearing After Sarah Ahmed's Queer Feelings. One. Surface. Interesting. Yeah? Where life is conflated with the social ideal, the recesses and the excess, the embodiment of the failure of the ideal, this body ever failing inevitably, regulative norms function or do not. The surfaces, bodies or thoughts, will suffice to script a body as disobedient. How long will the estrangement last? The length of this sequence of days, the proximity of time, an uncertain painterly quality to the outline, everything indefinite and disquieting, arcane, callous, handmade and sublime, somehow, this proximity, time. How does it feel to inhabit a body that fails to reproduce an ideal? Bodies as signs, the reading of bodies as intertexts, my body bearing all that I've read and known and felt. A reflex, a reflex. Part two, do they breathe? I've heard the narrator whisper contain her. Do soft bodies have souls? Do they breathe or just inspire? The hilarity of learning the slopes and heavings of bodies in a second or third tongue, crannies in the shapes of language objects made new, sex makes new and real, it sells the production cycles, alien heartbeats, shark bites, retracing small shocks, placing word and phenomenon side by side. A feminine body is made up of a series of cavities. Feminine life is formed of lacks, they suppose. But the unexamined gaps have agency. The damp wrappings form dense amalgamations. We self-identify as underdogs. Be sweet. A new dawn as expected. The horizon is always surveyed. I am too late to see the sunrise, but I know it happened. There are truths, recollections of graphs, of parabolic linearity, jagged zigzag, a pulse, a dramatic interlude. The horizon has a pulse, sharp and rhythmic, a meter. Everything is measurable, even us. We too are data. The land is data. Here it is flatlining, but in other spaces it was alive. 
I felt quite alive and well and everything. I could feel. My luck was tangible. I felt quite alive and now a chill. The air is still. Silence swallows. It begins to snow, and the snow here is different. And then the ground is pale, white, pure, but if we taste the flakes on our tongues, we know they are sour with sky dusts and chemical fogs. We once freely tasted, but now, we're, now we hold our breath, close our mouths collectively tight like vaults. Purity is a myth, and we need myths of untenable perfections. We need them for scale, for immolation. Even if we can trace this as tautology, we let it stand without question. Punish us for being alive. Punish us for being. Be beautiful, but only just. Be sweet, but be clever too. Be kind. Accept your fate softly. Be soft. Grate off your edges. Be smooth and soft. Burn off your textures. We want the rolling hills, the silent horizons, none of the drama, no jagged fray, no sharpness at all. One day it was just enough, full to the brim. Volumetrically, the container was now an object in space, all positive, nothing wasted. The air was heavy. It was embarrassing to be so shy and to bleed all over. To also ask to be carried or dragged. Just get me out of here. And the flakes became stars, also poisonous, but sources of light against the backdrop of nothing. And they are stars, maybe galaxies, but they were once snowflakes. The horizon is really just a sharp inky line across the page. Who is the author and what is this language? When we choose our words, we are also political. When my mouth forms an unfeeling M-dash between ideas, this, too, is a politics. My countenance, like a landscape, is a context, is a politics. One more from this collection. Augury for Sisu. That the body ripens, the sugars, juices augur a burst, an attempt. Occupy more than two states at once, non-binary and multiple. The conditions dynamic seems threatening to give way, giving way freely. Theory does not come before to inspire. Words do not proceed, do not dictate. My parents met in the mountains in a gold rush museum. That's why my pulse sounds like a pocket full of coins. The rules change every time I advance. It's rigged and I am too shy to abandon the pursuit. I ought to say once and for all a certain number of banalities but I hold my words in my mouth like an egg, delicate, biological. Dreamt I could reach up and touch the moon, gather foil-wrapped stars, place in ornamental bowls, come to hate my face, longing for something rooted below surfaces, tyrants, despots, dictators, capitalism, all that forms the visible political space for us is, the only, is only the visible and theatrical surface, augury. Stranger our language, this masculine web we are colonized. The concept of frontier is colonial. I am pushing nothing. A revolutionary force that no person who has been in a situation of distress has ever denied. Literary actions are actions that have a force of transformation, a force of political affirmation. Write poetry in the face of silence and erasure. Produce a chain of non-meaning around meaninglessness. Augur a burst, divine. just going to read one from my first my first collection my first chapbook which uh, felt like a miracle when it came out um, 
Deep Blue, after Hélène Sissou's Stigmata. Deep Blue, I can see why this is the name for the void lack. So deep blue it's black. Your soft, sour whisper keeps me awake. Tell me who I am. Unsettling how the bad habits of so many men of defining and imposing architectures, colonizing the vulnerable topologies, become what I crave from you, deep blue. I don't know what voice this is. I would like so much this unknown, untorn page. Everything we read remains. I too am attached to my engravings. Traumatism is an opening to the wound, is the promise of a text, a shatter, a splintering. This is an opening not a lack, a gap. And um, the poem that I am going to close with is, uh, it just disappeared. When people say that that happens, it actually happens. <laughs> I, I had it so uh, well, you know, it was, it was all ready to go. Here it is. It's called Object After Sarah Ahmed and Audrey, Audrey Lord. The object might be here. The object might be now. Objects are sticky. This object, that object, and this, that other thing, object, become collective objects. Interdependency among women is, is the way to freedom. Put them together and deprive them of what they need because they want that, because they, us, we, know objects, and they want that, and so we do because we know. Deprived of what they need, they ferment, and we didn't expect this, that. And now we have this other thing, object, this singular thing that's more. A collective is more. Objects are sticky. Thank you. For more information on the Pivot Readings, go to pivotreadings.ca.